Do you ever find yourself going through the motions? You do it over and over again. You get, just get up in the morning and you do the things that you do. You go about your morning routine and you just do them, right? You get up, you take a shower, you brush your teeth, you have your breakfast, you go on with your life, you go to work, you just sort of are going through the routine. You're just going through the routine. It's what you do, right? And sometimes you find yourself going, why am I doing this? Why does this have to be so boring? And sometimes we even find that with our spiritual lives, right? You wake up in the morning and you open God's Word and you read through it because that's what you do every morning. You read a chapter of the Bible or some amount of Scripture and then you close it again and you go on with your day and you're just like, I don't know why I do this. Every Sunday you get up and you put on clothes and you come to church and you sit here and you sing the songs and hear from the pastor and you walk away again and you're going, I do this every week, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. We just find that even spiritually we can be going through the motions. But this morning... David invites us through Psalm 103 to join with him in remembering why we do what we do. That's what he's inviting us to do in Psalm 103, is he's inviting us in to uh, look and even sing with him, to remind ourselves why we do what we do. Why do we care about who the Lord is? Why do we worship him? Why do we come to church on Sunday mornings? Why do we open his word and read from it? And Psalm 103 helps us to rekindle our affection for the Lord by reminding ourselves of not just what do we do and not just how do we do it, but why are we doing it, right? We know, oh yeah, I'm supposed to read every day. I'm supposed to pray every day. I'm supposed to come to church every week. We know what we're supposed to do. We know how to do it maybe. But to really rekindle our affection for the Lord so that we have a desire to come into the Lord's presence, that's what Psalm 103 is for. And so he begins in verse 1. This is a psalm of David. And in verse 1 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's speaking to his very being, right? He's speaking to his soul. He's teaching, commanding, instructing his soul and saying, Soul, innermost being of me, you should be blessing the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's instructing himself. He's preaching to himself. We have to do this from time to time, right? We have to, to tell ourselves, this is what we should be doing right now. There are times when you just feel like what I would like to do is just roll over and pull the covers back over my head, go back to sleep. That might be most mornings for some of us. Get up. Get up. 
Put one foot in front of the other. There are things that need to be done, and we need to do them. And so he says to his soul, O soul, bless the Lord. All that is within me, every part of me, every fiber of my being must bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Now this idea of the blessing of the Lord, right, is to me a little bit strange because when I think of blessing and when you read this word bless, the the picture here is of like a child coming to the Father and kneeling before the Father and the Father bestowing some sort of blessing on uh, on on the child. Right, That you would come, you would kneel in front of them, and that they would do a blessing, a, a speak a blessing over you. We see this several times with, with uh, Isaac blessing his sons, Jacob blessing his sons and grandsons, and, and you see this picture of the coming and kneeling before them and receiving the blessing. And sometimes it's the bestowing of some kind of benefit that the father has to give to the child, and sometimes it is um, a speaking of the words of divine blessing, right? The words of God's blessing on them. But now the picture is reversed. Now we have an instruction to our own souls. David is instructing his own soul to bless the Lord. What does that look like? How do you bless the Lord? You know those people who have everything they're really hard to buy gifts for? What are you going to give the Lord that he doesn't already have? You know those people who take care of you, who are there every time you need it, they just they do everything for you and it's like I can never repay them. I have nothing that they need. They don't need anything. What what can I offer to them? And that's what I struggle with here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. How am I supposed to give some kind of benefit to God? The the, uh, almighty and eternal God. What am I going to do to benefit him? I bless his holy name. I acknowledge the benefits that I have been receiving from him. I acknowledge how great and awesome he is. I acknowledge it in my own heart, and I acknowledge it before others. It is the only thing that we can offer, right? The only thing that we can offer is to praise the name of God and to say, how great is God. How great is my God. And I offer him my praises and I give my praises before other people and say, you should know how great is my God. It is the only way that we can offer anything to the Lord is to offer him our praises. And so David is commanding his soul, Oh, my soul, all that is within me, everything about me, bless the holy name of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. And as we go through this, we are going to see that we are blessing the Lord. We are reminding ourselves 
of the reasons that we are blessing the Lord, and we are going to see that there are two categories. One is because of the character of God, who He is, just who He is as God. And then the second is this, that we would remember His benefits. That we would remember His benefits. That when we come before the Lord and we kneel, He it is that bestows His benefits on us. And so David speaks to his soul and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The one who, verse 3, forgives all your iniquity. The one who forgives all your iniquity. This is the place that David starts. David starts in this place where he says, All that sin that is within me, is forgiven by the Lord. That's a great place to start. We get many benefits from the Lord, but the place to start before we get any other blessings and benefits from Him is that our sin is forgiven. Right? The great distinction between us and God is that He is holy and perfect, and we are sinful and do not deserve to be in his presence, and yet he welcomes, him, welcomes us in because he forgives our iniquity. This is what it says in Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been, ma- has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You know, I came, uh, I was preparing for this, and I came across this um, cross-reference and was thinking that this is the perfect text to help us understand the forgiveness and the mercy of God. But I really shouldn't use it because I use this all the time. I should really pick a different one so that people can see that throughout the Bible this is all over the place and I shouldn't just go to Romans 3 like every week. And then I thought, well, forget it. We're going to go to Romans 3 again. And you should write it down. You should write Romans 3 down. Do you know why I am tempted to go to Romans 3 every week? It's because it's very important. It's very important. And so I decided I'm going to bring it back again this week, even though many of you have heard it over and over again. You've heard me talk about it over and over and over and over again. And you should know the reference for this. And when I say Romans 3, you should have this idea. Oh, I bet it's going to be Romans 3.23. For all who have sinned fall short of the glory of God. Write it down. Make a note, review it, know the address for this, so that when somebody talks to you and you say, oh, I have this text that's really important, it's about the forgiveness of God, it's Romans chapter 3, and you can find it. Because even though the character of God has been made manifest since the beginning of the world, 
And even though the character of God in his mercy, his forgiving nature was made known very early so that even David is singing about it in the Psalms, what Romans chapter 3 tells us is that now for us who are post-Scripture, right? We have the whole entirety of the Scriptures before us. What has been made known to us is that the righteousness of God, the cleansing of our sin, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a benefit that is bestowed on everyone who believes that Jesus is their Savior. And then he explains in Romans 3 how that works. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, how does he do that? Verse 25 of Romans chapter 3. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Which means that when I have sin and there should be punishment and consequences for my sin, separation from God and eternal death, that instead Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to take the punishment. I will be the propitiation for that sin. I will take the consequences of that sin so that those who believe that Jesus has done that, by faith, receive Jesus' righteousness, the righteousness of God. And this, in this way, and this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, verse 26 of Romans chapter 3, so that his, this was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God at once can be just, right? He can punish sin just as it is deserved to be punished. He can do that and also let us go free by justifying us through Jesus. Okay, so David, not even knowing all of this, right? He doesn't have all of this. He he knows that a descendant of his is going to come But he doesn't understand yet fully who Jesus is because he comes before Jesus. But even in coming before Jesus, he's telling his soul, hey soul, I want you to remember the benefits of God. I want you to bless the name of the Lord because he forgives your sin. He forgives your sin. Now, some of us have been reading through the story of the Bible this year, and we have recently read about the story of the life of David, the great king. And when you read through the story of David, the great king, what you realize is how lousy of a guy that was. All of the sin that was in him, and how rare it was for him to be the great king. He spent so long waiting to be king because Saul was on the throne. And then he gets himself to be on the throne just as was promised to him. And then he's like got all of these sons who are causing problems and who are driving him away. I mean, he spends so much time running away. And yet, this is his attitude. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The one who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. David is going, I I don't know what David's circumstances are here, right, when he writes this psalm. 
This could have been one of the times when he's in Jerusalem and just going through the motions. This could have been one of those times when he was running away from his enemies and was hiding in a cave somewhere. I'm not sure. But at either of those places, he can be speaking to his soul and reminding himself, Hey soul, remember how you were such an awful sinner and God forgives you because he is merciful? Hey soul, remember when you were under attack and God uh, redeemed you and saved you from death? He redeemed your life out of the pit? Hey soul, remember how God is with you always? Has always been faithful? Hey soul, remember who the Lord is, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So that those times when you were weary and um, heavy laden and you were downtrodden and you were struggling because of all of the circumstances of life and yet God was there to strengthen you and build you up and raise you up so that you were like flying like the eagles, soaring above the fray and all of the challenges. Sometimes you go outside and you see the hawks and the eagles that are soaring and you just go, wow, that must be nice. Or you're stuck on 205 in construction. You just look and watch the, even the vultures. <laughs> must be nice to be a vulture today. They just soar over the whole thing. And when we have the Lord who is with us, we remind our souls it is his strength that raises us up and carries us like on the wings of eagles. Right over, right through the whole thing. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We have the sin that is within us, that we know that sin needs to be dealt with. We need to be forgiven of that sin, but then there is also the sin that is against us. Those times that people sin against us, they wrong us, hurt us, are oppressing us, and David has dealt with that. And he says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And now he begins to give some examples. He's reminding himself of the character of God and how we have known this. And so he goes back and he says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. David is sitting maybe in Jerusalem. There's certainly a, a kingdom of Israel now in the land of Israel with a kingdom. And he's maybe there, right? and reflecting on how the nation of Israel got there. It was because God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt and made his covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai and revealed who he was to his people. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There are many Easter eggs in this text for those who are paying attention, right? That you just see the references to other texts. Sometimes it's because of like Romans chapter 3 is referring back to uh, Psalm 103, and sometimes it's referring back to other things. In this case, Exodus 34, which if you aren't familiar with Exodus 34, if I say Exodus 34 and you're like, I think Exodus was like when they left Egypt or something. If you don't know, just... Exodus 34, make a note, look it up later, because Exodus 34 is where God reveals himself to Moses, right? There's been a struggle with the people of Israel going, um, uh, turning away to idolatry, to worship a golden calf, even while God is giving his uh, instructions on what it looks like for them to follow him, they are going astray. And Moses says, God, I want you to show me your glory. And so what God does is in Exodus 34, he takes Moses and he puts him in a rock and he says, I can't show you all of my glory, but I'm going to pass by and I'm going to cover you so that you can't see my glory. You don't see my face as I come by. But then after I go by, I'm going to pull my hand away and then you can just see the afterglow after I've gone by. But while the Lord is passing by, he is describing who he is. And this is a quote from uh, Exodus 34. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So when David then quotes this in Psalm 103, he's not making it up. He's not guessing. He's not going, well, from my experience, this is who the Lord is. This is the revealed uh, character of God when God says, what I want you to know about who I am is this, that I am merciful and gracious, that I am slow to anger, and I am abounding in steadfast love. Somehow, the God of the Old Testament, as if the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of today or the God of the New Testament, is given this rap as being judgmental and harsh. And when he describes himself, he says what? I am merciful and I am gracious and I am slow to anger and I am abounding in steadfast love. So when we see those, those scriptures in the Old Testament of the judgment of God and the anger of God, what we recognize is how long and how patient God was before that judgment came. How absolutely awful it got before the judgment of God came because he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In fact, it says, he will not, verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And for some of us who have grown up in the church or been in the church for a while, we begin to take that for granted. That uh, the Lord will not treat us according to our sins. He will not uh, treat us as we deserve. He will not always chide us, nag us, correct us, antagonize us because of our sin. 
And we may begin to take that for granted, but then I think about this and I think, well, how do I deal with other people? And how do I expect that other people are going to deal with me? If somebody sins against me, do I nag them? Point that out? Chide them? What do I expect if I wrong somebody else? How do I expect that they're going to respond to me? Do I expect that they're going to be merciful and gracious? Kind and compassionate? Very patient with me? Not usually. I don't expect that. I don't expect that from others. I expect that I'm going to get what I deserve. And when somebody sins against me, when they wrong me, I kind of expect that they should get what they deserve. And if they don't get what they deserve, I'll probably tell you about it. But God is not like that. He's so patient. If we're going through the motions and just sort of doing the church thing or the religious thing, I think we need to pause and remind our souls how unexpected this is based on our experiences everywhere else in life. That when we wrong his children and when we sin against God. He is so gracious. In fact, it says in verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, We're like shooting stuff into space and it is going out into space very fast and is then sending pictures back, right? We're sending like Hubble telescopes and other stuff. We're just launching stuff into space and trying to fling it as far into space as we can and have it take pictures even further than that as far as we can to send it back to us so that we can see what is out there. And it is way, way, way out there. I, my brain can't even comprehend how fast these satellites are going and how far away these pictures are that they're taking, that they're sending back to us. And now we're being told that as high as the heavens are above the earth, that far... Have you read the the, the book, uh, How Much I Love You, right? And it talks about, uh, come on, there's got to be a kid in here. What's the book? Guess How Much I Love You. Thank you. And how much, right? Well, as high as I can reach. Well, as high as you can reach. Well, all the way to the moon. Well, all the way to the moon and back. 
That's how much I love you. And this is saying, all the way to the stars and beyond. That's how much God loves you. As far as the east is from the west, if you just send something out east and you send something out west, we're going to go to the left and we're going to go to the right and we're just going to keep going. That's how far God has separated your sins from you. All of those things that cause you to feel shame when you think about what you did, all those things that you know you shouldn't have done it, those times when you sinned against God or you sinned against somebody else, you said something, and you just replay it over and over again. Those sins that haunt you, those sins that hang on to you, but God has removed them from you. Not like removed them, but now they're adjacent. They just follow you a little bit behind, a couple steps behind. But as far as the east is from the west, completely separated you from your sin. God has completely separated you from your sin. Then he gives another illustration. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Just like a a father might have compassion on their kid, the Lord has compassion on you. And it's appropriate, right? It's not just we talk about God as our heavenly father because uh, this is a really good picture of who he is, although it is but also because He is our Father. He is the one who created us, who gave us being, brought us into existence. In fact, we have another Easter egg, verse 14, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How does God remember that that we are dust? He was there. He was the one that took that dust and said, be a person. And we were. He was there in the beginning. God took us and created us, and He knows then how frail we are, right? This isn't just saying, oh, we're delicate people like dust. It's saying He knows us. He knows what we're made of. He knows us inside and out because he has taken the dust and he has put his spirit within us so that we might have life. And he knows all of us, all about you. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your sins. And like a compassionate father, he says, and come here. Come here. Some of you may not have had that experience of a compassionate father. And I want you to know that God is different than that experience. God is the kind of father that you want to have, wish you had. And even for those who have a father who was compassionate and gracious, he is the epitome and perfection of that. Who at any time, when you have any need, you can go and he says, come here. Come here. 
let me comfort you. Let me strengthen you. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Yeah, we're, we're like dust, right? We're very short-lived. As a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. I've got some things in my yard that I water, and they're growing, and then I have the things in my yard that I planted, and I forgot to water them. And a little bit of summer wind and a little bit of summer sun, and it's like, oh! Did somebody else remember to water the plants this week? Nope. Well, I guess we'll try again next year. They're dead. Just a little bit of sun, a little bit of wind, it withers up and dries up, and there is no coming back from that. There's no reviving it. And in a couple more weeks, it will all break down and back to dust. And our lives are like that. They are so short. They are so short that when God wants to express His love to you and He wants to express His eternal love and grace and compassion, He can't. You don't live long enough. You don't live long enough to see and understand and know the love of God. So as for man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. He has to show his love to you and your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids before you even begin to understand the kind of love that God has for you. How awesome is he? How awesome is he? How great and compassionate and loving. For the Lord has, verse 19, has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. When David began the psalm, he was speaking personally and to his own soul, reminding himself, and then he opened it up and he was talking about us and our experiences and us as mankind, as people, what we experience. And now he's expanding it even further and saying, and the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over everything. There is nothing outside of the dominion of God. He has created it, brought it into being, holds it into existence so that it remains in existence, and he rules over all of it. From here to the heavens, from the east to the west, he has dominion over everything. And so he reminds now everyone in verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, 
you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Those things that are in the spiritual realm, those things that are in the physical realm, those things that God has created, everything that there is in all of existence, he is directing now to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Everyone, everywhere, bless the Lord. And if God is so great that everyone, everywhere, at all times, should bless the Lord, then he reminds himself again and speaks to his own soul yet again. And me, Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. And maybe you are like me. And from time to time, I find I'm just going through the motions. Why am I doing this? I read God's word in the morning. By lunchtime, it's hard to remember what I read. Why did I bother reading it all? I got up, came to church again. Why am I doing this? And this is the reminder of why. Because God loves you so much. Because he has forgiven you of all of your sin. Because he reigns over heaven and earth. Because his steadfast love extends from generation to generation and extends to all of eternity. And because that applies not just to everybody, but even to you. So let's bless the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you we can come to you when we are hurting. We can come to you when we are oppressed. We can come to you when we are joyful. We can come to you when we are full of sin. And we can confess to you our need for you. And through Jesus, you have received us. Oh Lord, we pray that your name would be blessed that it would be blessed in our own lives, that it would be blessed in our families, in our households, that it would be blessed in this church, that it would be blessed in this region, that it would be blessed in all the earth, that it would be blessed in all of creation. And Lord, we pray that when we are not blessing your name, when we are not feeling the desire to praise you, that you would remind us again of your character and of the benefits that we have received from you so that once again our uh, affection for you might be rekindled and we might give you the praise that you deserve. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.